Welcome to episode three of season three of Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Mr. C.H. Siddons. Sidions, I think it's pronounced. I went. I went. I, was, I got some. There's two uh, people in my uh, new my new my new school, and they some they during the beginning of the year they called me Sidon, uh, Mr. Yeah. Sidon. What about because Sid- I talk way too fast? I talk way too fast. What about Mr. Sidions? No, there's one that was Sidons. Sidons, okay. yes. I like it. That's right. good. Uh, I went to him first, Mr. Grable, because in in earlier tapings, when I went to you, our, tapings, our, our intro, <laughs> I was I was <laughs> too boring. No, it wasn't uh, just. Really it was. I just felt like we were jinxed a little bit. Oh, so, okay, Mr. It. Peter Grable, hey, what's up, man? How you doing, man? Great. It's good to see you. Yes. Welcome back, folks. To Ed's not dead. We are very glad to have you. We've got a great show today. We have the one and only Randy Weingarten on the show. We do. We've been trying to get her on for a year. And <laughs> Let that sink in for a minute. We have Randy Weingarten. I know. The president of the second largest teachers union in America. Yeah. It's a big get for us. Yes. Credit, credit to Mr. Crable for his persistence. His and dogged I, I don't want to make it sound like Randy was hard to get on the show. She's just a very busy person. Oh, yeah. Extremely. Yep. 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 So we're excited to have Randy on. We're going to talk all things public education with her, and let's go to our uh, swag giveaway. Swag. Whoa. The lime green Ed's Not Dead stickers, two of which I have on Dodd cars. Looking good. Looking very good. Um, I need to do that. In order to get us get a sticker, you have to give us a review on iTunes and tell us about it on Twitter, so you can't just give us a review. You have to You have to give us a heads up. That's, That's right. right. Um, or tag 10 people to listen to this episode. So do it. It's a low bar to get. We'll send you a bunch, hand them to your family, your friends, your dog. Stick them on your forehead. There you go. Friend of the show, Bob Sinclair, I tried to give him one when I ran into ran into him, and he said he had already been sent like more than he <laughs> than I think he wanted. Oh, <laughs> he was like, no. I just wanted one. Yeah. Did, how many did you send him, Craig? Um, somewhere between five and ten. Okay. I kind of just grabbed a handful. <laughs> I, uh, that's a little excessive. It is a little excessive. Okay. No, you can never have too many stickers. Yeah, many you just not, never know. Too many ads, not dead stickers. You can never have it. The many. trick is you just have them lying around, and people are like, what am I going to do with all these? That's and right. somebody comes in and goes, what are those? And, they're, and then they that's take right. them. That's right. Um. My daughter Nora has one on her on her MacBook Pro. Nice, and she digs it. Yeah, so keep the uh, ratings going on iTunes because Mr. Graves, you got a metric for us. Yeah, I you know three years in, finally figured out how you can uh, determine where you are in the iTunes ranking. Mm-hmm. Cracked the top one hundred and fifty. Hey, yeah, and flirting with the top hundred. So I was like, oh, maybe that should be something that we look at periodically that's great yeah that's great um on the show today once again we have randy weingarten and then we are going to bring back dear betsy she's in back our, in our last segment mm-hmm. she was wasn't she, she had a busy week last week monday she, and she, friday she, off. was she threatened by a federal judge <laughs> uh we'll, we'll tease we'll, we'll okay. tease it there but yes there was a federal judge involved okay yeah. all right and then mr sid's a uh, quiz we got a quiz okay it's, it's a teacher squ- strikes 101 a little oh, bit nice. of mixed okay. bag nice. along with right. it. Right. Yeah. So it, topical. Because as we record, the Chicago teacher strike is happening. Ongoing. Yes. yes. Yep. 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 Um, anything else, boys, for the good of the no. It's Not Dead Let's, audience? I want to I get to this interview because Miss Weingarten has, has a lot to say. Very informed. 
very intelligent. Uh, looking forward to it. Should I be should I be annoyed? I noticed on Twitter that Mr. Kaz has more Twitter followers than me. Uh, <laughs> he's getting up there. Yeah, he's he's, he's getting in the thousands. I, you're like pushing too. Yeah, he's getting to be quite the social media educational. Is he an influencer? Is Mr. Kaz? I think he might be getting up there. Is he yeah. close to being a, an educational influencer? He, he can be a Twitter troll, too. He oh, can, nice. really? A little bit. A little light trolling. Has At he, Mr. Kaz 31? 31. 31. That's right. Is he the one that said that our sweet pictures on uh, on edsnotdead.com look like my wedding and you were my ushers? <laughs> He might have said that. that. Yeah. 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 We, we joked about that privately in the moment. <laughs> that was pretty funny. All right. You can find us at Ed's Not Dead PC on Twitter. And as I just mentioned, Ed's Not Dead.com. As always, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full service educational media company specializing in leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. All right, fellas, we are incredibly excited to have Randy Weingarten, the president of American Federation of Teachers on the show. Welcome, Randy, to Ed's Not Dead. It is great to be with you guys, and, you know, pretty soon you're going to have to have a whole new title about Ed is Alive and Well. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Yeah, I I mean, we may need to think about that, yes. You're one of the first guests, though, that's gotten the the irony of it and how it's, oh, Ed's Not Dead, and, you know, everywhere we're like public education, alive and well. That's right. All right. Well, we we are so glad you're on the show. We've been working to get you on, and we know you're very, very busy. So we're incredibly grateful to have you on the show. AFT was founded in 1916 and today represents, I hope I get this right, 1.7 million members across the country. That's correct, right? Absolutely. In fact, we just won an election yesterday for um, the entire University of New Mexico faculty, part-time and full-time. Congratulations. All right, so let's start with a global question. What are the top issues affecting teachers and public education right now? Well, you know, let me answer it in two ways. Um, And these days we actually have a little palm card where we talk about all of these things. But the same issues that affect kids and affect America, affect parents, are the issues that affect teachers because teachers are actually now the first responders in schools across America to everything that is challenging in the United States of America. So, you know, you can go micro and talk about things like, you know, investment in schools and how you deal with it. You can talk about things like the freedom to teach and how do we make sure that teachers actually have the latitude to meet the needs of kids and, you know, teach based upon what they, what they believe kids need. You can talk about welcoming and safe environments in schools and in streets, particularly in light of, I think it's up to 216 mass shootings this year. Right. You can talk about generally the whole issue of how in this, you know, in, in this period of time of extreme economic inequality, existential threats to our democracy, and growing and a dangerous and growing ethnic and racial division, you know, how do we actually make sure there is the freedom to live on, you know, on decent wages? How do we make sure that there is a, a, a health care that's, you know, so that you're not one illness away from bankruptcy? How do we make sure that student debt does not crush people? Yeah. Um, how do you make sure that there's retirement security? So the reason I'm going through this litany is because at the end of the day, there are so many issues 
that affect teaching and learning because there are so many issues that affect America. Right. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I, I you know, I go back to and it's so great to talk to three educators who are doing this podcast because think about, you know, what Dewey was trying to do. Think about what Dick Tocqueville said so many years ago you know, when he observed American democracy mm-hmm. and, and, and was just so awed by this notion that that in this, you know, very then fledgling democracy that had, you know, that, that, that had its weaknesses, but one where we were driving for common, the common bond that mm-hmm. brought Americans together, yet at the same time, embracing and valuing the diversity that was then America and is now America. Mm-hmm. So I would say they kind of fall into all of those issues, mm-hmm. how to deal with the extreme economic inequality, the existential threats to our democracy, the dangerous, really dangerous um, uh, kind of throwing out of truth and um, growing ethnic and racial divisions. And, you know, we have to, and I'll end with this, so what we think we have to do is focus on strategies that um, we have to focus on children's well-being and make sure schools are welcoming and safe environments. We have to focus on funding our future. So NEA had, you know, and focused on Red for Ed, and I think the next step of Red for Ed is to take anger to aspiration to take fear to hope and focus on how you fund our future and how you deal with these disinvestment and privatization issues. And we have to make sure that teachers are treated like the professionals they are and have agency and the ability to, and the freedom to teach. But then we also have to really focus on how we create cultures of collaboration and that with our bigger communities, make sure there is the freedom to live. All right, so you you talked about um, making sure teachers are treated like the professionals that they are. One of the one of the things that I'm 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 proud of is that, as opposed to my two millennial co-hosts, I I started as I started 25 years ago in education, and I feel like I can remember a time um, when I, I was I started pre um, scapegoating and demonization of teachers, and I'm I'm curious because you've been at this so long on behalf of teachers. Can you put your finger on when when um, teachers became disposable or demonized as the as as the problem in education versus who they are, which is the folks that really uh-huh. re- really really give our country um, the future. Well, I would actually say there's probably three or four major points here. So number one was probably in 1983 with the nation at, at risk. risk. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and and it's and but but that it's too simple to say. Okay, business got involved, wanted to get involved, and wanted to find a way that you know they found you know um, enemies or they found you know protagonists and antagonists. Let me say it that way. But right. but. But that was a turning point. If you if you look at, frankly, if you actually looked over 100, 150 years ago, um, there there have been cycles in public education 
where we went through another cycle of factorization and of, you know, routinizing everything versus the whole, fighting for the whole child and fighting to educate the whole child. So we've gone through a whole bunch of cycles. But okay. in recent history, let's say that of the 50 or 60 years of Title I, for example, Johnson came in with a war on poverty. Right. And let's, let's look at it through that lens. Sorry, I'm a social studies teacher. No, that's yeah. good. So yeah. we yeah. looked through it through that lens and the war on poverty. And where he focused, he, you know, first Kennedy, then him, and, and remember, he was a, he was an, a, a teacher in rural Texas. Mm-hmm. And, and, and saw that poverty and saw that if you want to level the playing field for kids, you have to make sure that the federal government actually gets involved, not just calling balls and strikes, which is what Duncan and what the Bush administration right. whatever did, but also actually giving the resources so you can level the playing field. Mm-hmm. And that's what Title One and that's what IDEA was supposed to be about. So the first 25 years of, of Title One of the war on poverty, you saw huge gains in schools with, that, that had you know, impoverished kids who were um, mostly or disproportionately black and brown, mm-hmm. and you saw huge gains. Mm-hmm. And so then, but the second 25 years, or actually now, you know, and I would put the last five years in a different place, the second 25 years became accountability, accountability, right. accountability. And so that's why I kind of look at 1983, because, because what then happened in 1983 was this sense of two things collided. One was, well, we're not getting to 100% proficiency. I would actually say 100% mastery. Because that's our job, that's our goal, to help all kids get to their potential. So so then you started seeing the blamers and the shamers. Mm -hmm. And And this disproportionately female profession then became blamed by people who actually spent with no time in classrooms. Right, right. And then it got increasingly worse with no child left behind. Yeah. And frankly, I would put, even though I love President Obama, but I think that Arnie was part, Arnie Duncan, was a lot part of this top-down accountability, mm-hmm. competition, you know, if they can't do it, just fire them, close yeah. schools. And this notion that you just have to shake people up. And all of that was happening at the same time as we had in the 19, you know, in, in, in 2005, 6, 7, the worst recession since the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. So when I say you had two kind of things colliding, you had austerity because of the recessionary forces right. colliding with these kind of plutocrats who mm-hmm. spent no time in classrooms, who then decided they knew better than we did colliding with the right wing who wanted to, like the DeVos types, who wanted to get rid of public education anyway. Right. So that's how competition and testing and reducing it to a test score, to an algorithm, um, you know, became the strange bedfellows with austerity. Yeah. All right, good. Thank you. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up all these other issues um, that maybe some people wouldn't think about as education issues. One of the things that we've talked about on the show is how schools and, and public education doesn't exist in a vacuum, and it reflects society um, as much as it drives society. So 
being in the thick of, you know, presidential elections and primaries and all that, um, candidates are starting to release ideas about how to support and or bolster public education, some more bold than others. Um, you and AFT have been, you know, very vocal in terms of supporting specific candidates and or ideas. So my, my question is, how do teachers who I have always kind of envisioned as having to be apolitical and neutral and sort of arbiters as opposed to activists. So how do teachers balance that role between advocating for themselves, which ends up advocating for specific politicians, um, versus the kind of like, uh, you know, dispassionate arbiter for students? Mm -hmm. So I think that on some weird level, even though it was completely wrongly decided, I think that meaning I don't believe that the First Amendment limits the freedom of association and which is what unions are and where it bar associations can levy fees for everybody who's a lawyer and, you know, a university can levy fees for everyone who get benefits from the university. It's hard to see why unions um, uh, don't have the right to have a fair share if people are getting those services. Right. However, again, I digress. <laughs> what it did, it but what it did was it kind of, the Janus decision completely freed people up from making the drawing a line between collective bargaining and other kinds of things that you do in direct service to schools, professional development, terms and conditions of employment, conditions of kids, and politics. It just basically, you know, there's no longer, since, since everybody can either do join or, not, or yeah. not join, there's no longer that line. And I would actually argue that in our classrooms, we have to be very careful to make sure that we help kids, um, give kids the tools that they need to arrive at their own decisions on politics. We have to be careful about that. But at the, I think we are the guardians of democracy. We are the nurturers of, of student minds. We are trying to help ensure that kids, um, you know, can can unlock their that that kids develop the you know the, the the skills and the responsibilities and the knowledge so that they can actually navigate their own lives. Right. But part and parcel of that is that public education is foundational to democracy. And so when the rubber hits the road, I don't think we have a right, believe it or not. Well, let me say it this way. I don't think we um, can sit on the sidelines. And and given that half of America didn't vote in the last election, the issue is how do we actually get people engaged and involved and, and, and feeling like, you know, well, not everyone can do, no one can do everything. We have to we have to fight and encourage people not to sit on the sidelines and to do something. So is, and is so go ahead. That's part of let me just say that's part of why we have completely revamped our that the AFT's nominate or you know endorsement process to be focused not simply on you know what candidate shares our values and what candidate can be elected and whether you're talking about president, senate, what or you know, local offices, because as you know, in Maryland, local offices are just as important in so many different ways. And, and, but, but our focus is on engagement and on empowerment. 
of our members so that they don't sit on the sidelines, so that they get engaged in this process, you know, at the very least to vote, but really get engaged. But I, I, so to continue on that point, our number one job as educators is to keep kids safe. And I mean, regardless of your political views, you're in, I'm a social studies teacher as well. So we're kindred spirits. Uh, I, I, during the 2015 campaign, I found it really challenging to be a neutral arbiter of what was happening with Trump at the time and continues to this day where, where kids in my classroom felt extremely unsafe. Students who are from, um, you know, who are Muslim, students who are from Central America, and they were literally in tears in middle school right. in fear of what was to come about being sent back or being marginalized. And as a, as a teacher in the classroom, I, I didn't, it was more of like, uh, I don't even know how to phrase it, but it, it's like our job is to make sure that they're physically and emotionally safe. And if that means that I'm not, if I'm going to say that I'm not supportive of, of Trump and his policies, then I'm going to say that. Right. And I don't think that that's, um, I think that the real issue becomes in an election period, it's going to be, I'm not sure that we in our classrooms, let's, let's draw the distinction on policy versus uh, who is elected. Right, right. I, it's, it's, so I think in our classrooms, we can conduct a debate about, you know, sorry, sorry to go all social studies on you. So say <laughs> we could... We could conduct a debate and not put our own viewpoint in there about, you know, but, but you know, our views are going to be obvious by the way in which we ask a question. But be trying to, you know, draw a line so that, that they're making a decision, they can draw a conclusion as opposed to, you know, us saying, well, I'm for Hillary or, right. you know, I'm for Donald Trump or I'm for... Blah, 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 right. this time. But the but but I think that that's different about policies. I think that that where it's perfectly and I agree with you when we think about things like gun violence. Right. You know that should we be sitting on the sidelines? Should we be not encouraging people to go to the March for Our Lives rallies right. that were about making sure that kids are safe in school? I think when it comes to policies that, you know, and, 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 and there's, you know, that, that as long as we have a way of mooring it in something that is absolutely vital in schools, right. such as safe and welcoming environments, the same in terms of look what, well, what's happening in terms of the Chicago strike. Right. The issue, part of the strike, one of the provisions that they are seeking is what we got in the charter school strikes in Chicago, sanctuary status for schools so that ICE cannot walk in without a warrant to take kids away for the very same reasons as you just expressed. The issues of a nurse and guidance counselor is a front and center in the Chicago strike. And I think, I mean, at the end of the day, every single year adds on more social woes that public education and public schools are responsible for. And they're placed right. on the shoulders of teachers and administrators. So I, I think one of the things that you were talking about earlier with, with regard to Title I funding is, you know, how are states and, and federal government, how is this, how are states and federal government itself supporting and strengthening public schools? What are your thoughts on what the federal government could do more or how individual states could do or what should be left to the individual states to do themselves? Right. And then there's a bigger question, which is 
the funding, the fundamental funding right. of schools. Yeah. Because to the extent that it's funded by in a property tax system, it will always be funded um, inequitably. And so what happens is because that's not going to change tomorrow, um, you know, and maybe in some places it will change in our lifetime and maybe it will not. But that's why the federal government becomes so important as a way of leveling playing field, Absolutely. as a way of leveling for poverty. And that's why Title I and IDEA, there's a bunch of others as well, but Title I and IDEA become so important because what, what um, district, you know, you know, say you have a lot of medically fragile kids in your district, in a district, you know, shouldn't the federal government through Medicaid, through IDEA, be helping significantly to pay for that? Yes. Because those kids need, you know, we want to level the playing field. And the same in terms of, I would argue, English language learners. The same in terms of, you know, kids who come from poverty. So I know we have this kind of fiction right now that the federal government pays for about 10% and states and localities do the rest. And in the state that, you know, I spent most of my life working in New York, it was about um, 10% the feds. Um, 30% um, the state, 35% the state, and the balance, um, you know, local um, local taxes. And, you know, at one point or another, there, you had all of those finance cases all throughout the country. But, you know, this, so, so I think that the federal government has a lot of roles in terms of being a clearinghouse to share best practices, being the... Um, I mean, it's hard to say being the, um, you know, the accountability agent where it comes to justice, given, you know, what's going on right now. Um, but at one point or another, it really should be the enforcer of civil rights like it did in Little Rock and other places yep. in, you know, in Brown versus Board of Education. And there should be a lot of funding. Um, so, so I think, for example... You know, the, and innovation funding and, and, and funding to, you know, try new things and be a clearinghouse for strategies like, like, you know, like NIH is. Like, why don't we have an NIH for analog in education? Right. Yeah. You know, why did we get for years, you know, the philanthropies funding, you know, what they wanted to fund, but that was their, that they had the money. So all of a sudden you had a lot of funding on how good charter schools are. And you had a lot of funding on, on, you know, testing and on value add, as opposed to NIH doesn't do that. They fund to find the, you know, the solution to cancer. <laughs> you know, why don't we actually find, why don't we have funding, why don't we have research institutions that are really thinking about what are the better strategies in the teaching of reading? Right. What happens? Is pre-K really, 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 really as important as we think? And if so... Why is pre-K that not funding, not funded, just like the solution to cancer is, you know, funded? So, sorry, I'm just going on a rip. But, you know, there's, but this then becomes like what a new president can do, I think, in a new era where I think you see public education getting, um, you know, people recommitting. And I don't know if it's because there's such a terrible... Um, you know, uh, Secretary of Education, 
who, you know, who cannot hide her disdain for public schools. Oh, yeah. No, she just um, hides from schools but, themselves, you know, that's all. Yeah. Say it again? I said she just hides from schools themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true, too. But, you know, but, but whether, you know, but, but you're seeing overwhelmingly, whether it's the PDK poll, we just did a poll of rural areas across America, and public schools became the most important piece, the most important policy and advocacy that rural Americans, a rural, rural Americans, small town Americans, really want. So you can see people coming back together again for the same reasons as you just said. They want yeah. their kids to be safe, right? And 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 public schools. You know that is not only our aspiration; that's our responsibility, and it's also our responsibility to build community, and it's also our responsibility to do knowledge and skills. But it's pretty. Even in this horrible time, this divisive time about whether or not we'll have a democracy, it's amazing how many people are coming back to saying, wait a second, we need our public school. Yes, we do. So you've talked quite a bit about um, funding um, and fully funding public schools. And, you know, in the last, I don't know, year or year plus, we've had the Red for Ed movement pushing um, for funding. We've had a number of strikes. Um, pushing for, amongst other things, um, improved salaries, improved working conditions, increased student support services, et cetera. So I guess my, my question is, like, is there going to be, a, do you foresee a point in the future in this country when we say, oh, wow, we expect public schools to do X, Y, Z, and if we really do expect them to do that, we, we need to fund them appropriately? Or, you know, the sort of opposing current forces are, well, they're not meeting standards, look how much money we're already putting into them. So let's just continue to decrease funding and create a totally parallel set of schools on a totally separate track. Um, If you asked me that question five years ago, (laughs) 10 years ago, I would have said we were on the trajectory, you know, despite all the fights Mm -hmm. of the latter. But I do actually think that we're starting to move um, towards a responsibility to the um, public public schools that ninety percent of kids in America attend, mm-hmm. right? And you know, and you know, it's it's been. And I'm look. I say this as someone who's one of whose predecessors started the charter movement, Al Shanker. Yeah, and I actually run a charter school. I still run a charter school in the Bronx, in the South Bronx, really? with Steve Barr. And our kids, you know, the the high school graduation rate has been like ninety five to one hundred percent. Does everybody over does all these years? Does everybody know that, Randy? Is that like is that I mean, like a big announcement on Ed's Not Dead? <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's pretty known. Okay. You know what right. it is, but but what it is is that think about I this school could compete with Eva on staff every day, you know, every day, right? But it doesn't fit that narrative that you know, her schools are better than public schools. Right. So it doesn't get the play. But all I'm saying is that there's a role, just like there's a role for career tech ed, a huge role, there's going to be a role in a, in a big public system. There is a role for charters that actually act in some weird way as magnets these days. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and this, but, but, but you have to, have to, have to, Make sure parents have a neighborhood public school 
whether it is an elementary school or a middle school, and I would even argue a high school, although, you know, you can make a whole bunch of different arguments about, you know, high schools needing to be more regionalized. But there has to be a neighborhood public school that is great and that parents feel they can send their kids to. And that is our obligation. And I would also argue it should have wraparound services and that the services in a community should be wrapped around a school because the schools then become the center, the heartbeat of communities, which is what happens in rural areas and what happens in Silver Springs. I remember I grew up in Rockland County, New York, in Clarkstown, New York. My cousins grew up in Silver Springs. They kept talking about, you know, the schools in Montgomery County. I heard about the schools in Montgomery County as I was growing up. Yeah. And the kind of enrichment and AP courses and sports and other things, the things that kids want and get kids to come to school. Yeah. I was, I was the, um, I was the principal of a quasi charter and, um, the, the, the line I always use Randy about school choice is that, and if you're on the receiving end, it can be tough that, um, Oftentimes what happens is is if you're in a school choice arrangement, somebody ends up being the New York Yankees and somebody's the Kansas City Royals uh, based on interest of kids and that that can be a really tough narrative to break break out of for a school. Um, Absolutely. So. uh, But it's also, also, think about it. Look, I'm married to a rabbi. I'm a pretty observant Jew. Yes, I know it's Saturday, and yes, I'm doing this with you. <laughs> but, you know, I'm a, you know, I go to show as many Friday nights as I can. Yeah. And I, and I don't, and, and there are, you know, there are parents who say, I want to send my kids to a religious school. Right. They have, they should have that right to do that. Absolutely. The issue is taxpayers basically fund public education. Yep. And they fund public education with a set of requirements about equality and opportunity. And that should be our role. Not not that we should say that people shouldn't, you know, go to Catholic school or a religious school. But I think that people like um, DeVos conflate these two and have tried to use charters and vouchers weaponize them to undermine and destabilize public schools and to pit people against each other. Agree. Uh, so before we, before we end and uh, you've given us so much time, we'd like you to do a little forecasting for us, Randy. We had John Safir of research for better teaching on recently. And like you did, he gave us an overview um of the changes in education from his perspective over the last few decades. And he ended up saying that we were currently in the data era, which I know all three of us here on the show would agree with because it's pretty much ruled our lives as educators, especially over the last two decades. I I was curious, this is a two-parter. First, have we finally jumped the shark with data and value-added measures for evaluation systems in the United States? And secondly, Use your crystal ball. What's the next big movement that we'll see that will dramatically affect our schools? Right. Okay, so number one, I think that we're finally, we're, um, we're in the turn 
Good. I don't think we've jumped the shark yet. Okay. Can you we define? Wait, wait, hold on. Time uh, out. Time uh, out. Uh, There's millennials okay. in the room. Uh, okay, Rand, Randy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no. What can, does sorry. what does jumping We're the shark in. mean? We're what leaning in. Thank you. Because I, <laughs> uh, Randy, let's just for a quiz. You you do know what jumping the shark refers I, to, right? Because I don't. Yeah. Okay. Right. They did the. My, well, okay. Good. My two. Co- but that's only because I have people in my life. That are that that in all phases of life, so that I get my culture from lots of different people and lots of. Different you you places. didn't watch yes. you didn't watch Fonzie jump the shark on Happy Days. I did. I did. <laughs> okay, right. I was trying to okay. not tell you that I was sixty-one years old. I was okay. trying to be okay. cool. All right. Okay. About this. All right. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> so I actually think we're. In the turn. I don't think we have conquered this yet, but I think this notion that everything can be reduced to a data point, the fixation on data as opposed to the fixation on kids, I think that the fixation on kids is winning the debate. The question becomes, and this kind of gets to both your first and second question, is what we've never done in education. And this should be what a blue ribbon the next, hopefully, now wear my politics on my sleeve, hopefully there will be a different president in 2020. Right. But I think that there, that what we've never, what we have not done in recent in history is there is not a common um, definition or a common answer or an answer that people a consensus-based answer to the question, what is the purpose of education? And I think if we can actually drive towards that answer, mm-hmm. then that then becomes not just what's measured, that then becomes what the focus is um, in the next 10 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. So you and I might say, all of us might say, it is about you know, helping kids reach, helping all kids, regardless of geography or demography or zip code, whatever, reach their potential, achieve, you know, have the, have the skills and knowledge and, 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 and character traits and attributes and whatever so that they can achieve their dreams, not just dream their dreams. So we would come up with something that we would say that is very child-focused. Um, but in the last, you know, in the... No, no child left behind race to the top era it was all data focused and schools are pretty compliant look at what's happened after all these mass shootings 96 percent of schools now have active shooter you know drills so schools were very compliant about the data we need to bust out of that and this would be my hope which is how do we actually get to a common enough definition of what do we need to do to help um, in public education? I would say it's nurturing our democracy, it's nurturing kids' minds, their souls, and their bodies, and it's actually being the economic propeller of, of, of the United States of America. And if we actually did that, then all of a sudden you'd have a lot of resources in public education. You'd have wraparound programs. You'd have an array of different things. Because when people would see that the public schools are the economic uh, propeller and the 
foundation of democracy, as well as nurturing children, and all of a sudden the public schools become really, really important. Absolutely. That was, that's, that's like, we should steal that quote and use it as our foundation for why we did this podcast, right. because <laughs> we just wanted to have fun and like have a great conversation about education, and what you just said is like the embodiment of what we're trying to yeah. do. Yeah. And, and exactly right. Randy, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Um, as you are a lifelong learner and educator, we have to end our time with a final exam before you go. Are you okay with that? I'm okay with that. All right. Well, you may know this, but in Norway... Just, just but, don't make it multiple choice. It is multiple choice, but you, you'll, you, you, you can do it. A-B-B-A. So, always, but in Norway, in Norway, Randy is a name that emerged, Randy with an I, is a name that emerged in the 1400s as a short form of Rangfrid. Did you know that? <laughs> The original meaning in the original meaning in Old Norse is God lovable. We have three questions about famous Norwegian Randys, and if you answer two out of the three correctly, you're going to win some Ed's Not Dead swag. Are you okay with that? I love that. Do you know what Randy is in in Britain, though? I don't. Uh, so I'm not going to go through this in your podcast because then <laughs> I need to know now, though. He knows from I Austin Powers. Lie. Come on. <laughs> oh, jeez. I didn't think about that. Well, we're going to go with the Norwegian one. Okay. So, number one, Randy Blair, B-L-E-H-R, was a famous Norwegian in the 1880s and eventually founded, I'm going to butcher this word, Kvinsag Forenged, <laughs> which was what? A, the Association, no the Association for Women's Rights, B, the Association for Furniture Builders, or C, the Association for Fisherwomen? Oh, I a- bet it was C. That was a nice guess, and I. But it's actually a the Association for Women's Rights. Okay, good. All right. Oh, wow. I would have guessed C too. The word is kvinstagsforing. It's like seventeen letters long. Okay. Number two, you still have two chances. Randy Elizabeth Drydal and Randy Gustad, both both from Norway, are both famous for what activity? A soccer, B book binding, or C they're both famous handballers. <laughs> They're both famous what? Hand? Handballers. Like the sport handball. <laughs> no, it has to be B. It is, uh, is, are you saying handballers? No, 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 not the handballers. Oh. The one before the handballers. Bookbinding. Actually, it was <laughs> C. They're both famous handballers. Oh, All right. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I don't even know what handball is. Okay. All right. <laughs> Number three. There's no, one she left. Can, she, can one. St- she can still get swag. Absolutely. Gets- <laughs> Absolutely. Just for putting up with me. Number three, Randy Skog, the first Norwegian woman to climb to the summit of Mount Everest, is also famous for doing what? A, purchasing an entire island called Nostholmen to use as a base for nature-based experiences. B, starting a nonprofit for cleaning waste from the trails of Mount Everest. Or C, going back to university to earn a degree in astrophysics. Oh, my God. This one I should actually know, and I have no idea. So I would say A, B, and C. Well, actually, the first one you got, the first guess you had was A, and that was correct. She uh-huh. purchased an entire island to use as a base for nature-based experiences. Interesting. <laughs> All right. Well, and, and anyway, ahead. you just taught me something. I had no idea. You're, you're in good company with he, those randies. He, he taught me something, too, because I had no idea he was going to do that quick. I, I have to, I have to, I have to <laughs> slide it in. So you're gonna get some Ed not, Ed's not dead swag. So when uh, after we're done here, we'll get your we'll get where we're gonna send it to you. All right, fantastic. And you do know, as you did that, I did not cheat 
Meaning I did not go to Dr. Google and try to find the answer. I definitely would have I done that. that. Robbie did. I think he it was, was obvious by, by being wrong, but I wanted to disclose that. All right, Randy, we appreciate you taking so much time to come on Ed's Not Dead. Uh, last question. Do you want our listeners to find you in any certain spot on Twitter or on the um, AFT website? Go ahead. Let me just say this as I do that. Let me just also thank you guys. This is, it's amazing that you're doing this. And it was really important to do it during the kind of period of time when we were always in this crouched position of, you know, how do we fight for the public schools our kids deserve? So I just want to say thank you for doing this and doing this work. Thank you, Randy. it's great that you're having a lot of fun with it. But really, thank you. Thanks. And my, my Twitter is R. Weingarten. Okay. Um, so it's my last name with the first, with R, Got R. It. Weingarten. And, you know, we have the AFT website. We have AFT Facebook at, you know, AFT Union. We have my Facebook that I um, mostly use for um, work-related stuff at Randy Weingarten. And we have the AFT.org um, website where we put a lot of things up all the time. And once a month, I do a column in the New York Times, and that's coming out tomorrow. But nice. we'll put it up on Medium as well. Okay. And um, that's what. And so I'd love to um, be in touch with your listeners and any of them that are teachers or other educators. I also want to just say thank you. All right. Thank well, you co- to them. congratulations on the big win in New Mexico, and hopefully, um, maybe after the next election, we'll get you on the show. What do you think? Right. Okay. Right. All right, all right, all right, Randy. Enjoy. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Welcome back to Ed's Not Dead for our final segment of episode three in our third season. We're not going anywhere. Nowhere. No, we're, junior year. Yeah, junior we're year. We're going to get to episode, or season 10 eventually. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, Mr. Siddons, this Ready? is your time to shine. The last oh, segment is always yours. Jeez. And it's my time of the show where I can sit back and <laughs> really not do anything. Have a few laughs. Yeah. And, 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 and criticize me for my, <laughs> my choices. I will. That's, it is, it is. That's, that's all part of the shtick, it man. Is. It's great. It's really great. It makes me incredibly angry. It's also the time, time, time of the show where you don't get on your cell phone. Oh, you have to pay attention. Geez. All right, go ahead. So annoying. Um, what do we all do? Right. Dear Betsy. Oh, we're doing Dear Betsy. You said a quiz. Oh, I did? Yes, you did. All right, let's do the quiz first. Okay, yeah. quiz we'll, first. We'll, and then we'll get to Dear Betsy and her, and her Sounds ter- good. terrible decision-making. Anyway, anyway, number one, uh, so this, this quiz is all about uh, teacher strikes. Since we're, we're coming up on uh, a teacher strike that's occurring in Chicago, I figured it's, it's high time to talk about them and uh, some of the history behind them. You ready? I'm ready. All righty. I will point out for our listeners that our three years of Ed's Not Dead have been dominated by teacher strikes. It really has. We right. happened to start the show at a time when <laughs> teacher strikes were en vogue. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. They're, they're, uh, the 70s were a big era for teacher strikes, and there was kind of a quieting down over the years, and now we're mm-hmm. back into this major, major time period of, of worker discontent. There, there, there was a teacher strike when I was in eighth grade. Really? And we all got to school and found out when we got there, this was in the days of junior high schools. Why don't they just that, email you that? that the school, yeah, that the, <laughs> that the school was going to be closed. And it was 
the best day ever. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> uh, you could see the kids just running away from the school. Really? Was it, yeah. Was it, was it bedlam? That? It was bedlam. Everybody just just, <laughs> just bounced. Took, just, yeah, just took did off. You ta- did you take a bus to get to school? No, I walked. So what did your, your, like, your dear old dad say about it? I don't really know. I I don't I don't I don't re- recall having a conversation. I was fourteen. Yeah. <laughs> All I knew was that school was out. We we were rolling out. Was this wow. the same day that your brother fell out of a tree and then you laughed at him and then he pounded you? <laughs> was that the same day? I was younger. Than that. I was elementary school. <laughs> okay. All right, go All ahead. Right. Number one. In 1973, there were simultaneous teacher strikes in Chicago, St. Louis, and Philadelphia. The last of which lasted how many months? A one. B two, C three, or D four. This whole episode has been about threes. Yep. So I'm just gonna go with threes. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna go in the low end. I'll say one. Okay. Well, it's actually two months. Oh. Lasted two months. Philadelphia, so 1973. Um, so number, how do we do that? Nobody so, gets any. Nobody points. gets anything. Number two, so teachers teachers in the Homer School District in Homer, Illinois, embarked on the longest teacher strike in American history, walking off the job Can on October seventeenth. October 17th, 1986, for how many days? A, 175, B, 76, C, 106, or D, 156 Man, days. those are long strikes. I'll go with 156. 76. The answer is D, 156. Mr. Whoa. Dodd. Oh, baby. Look at you. How many, on the months, board. how many months is that? Five months? That's a That's lot of that months. That is crazy. Yeah. yeah. So apparently the in Homer, Illinois. Homer, Illinois. Yeah, it's it, apparently the there's still massive discontent and distrust in the board of ed and the school district today from that strike. Well, well mm-hmm. a f- four to five month strike would, mean, would that's pretty impactful. Would have some yeah. lasting yeah. impact. Yeah. And there's there's uh, articles out there you can read about the impact on housing prices, people moving to the area, and uh, just generally people applying for private and charter schools around there. <laughs> Okay. Number three, teachers in Chicago recently announced they would be going on strike for the blank time in 40 years. A, fourth, Ooh, that's a good one. B, fifth, C, sixth, or D, the seventh. Wow. So a minimum of four. I'm going to go four. Okay. Yeah, I knew you were going to take the minimum. Yep. Okay. Uh, is it five, six, seven? There's five, six, or seven. Yeah. Um, I'll go with six, so I don't get caught up in the same thing I did on question one. <laughs> the answer is D, seventh time oh, in baby. 40 years. Jeez. Yep. You said six, but once, yeah, every, but once was, every six years. But I was closest. You were closest. Yeah. That's true. So I get a half point. <laughs> All right. Number four. By 1932, the Norris LaGuardia Act outlawed what kind of contracts LaGuardia. which made teachers promise not to join a union? Was it the A, the blue buffalo contract, B, the green cat contract, C, the yellow dog contract, or D, the purple pachyderm contract? I'm going with the yellow dog. What was what was A? Blue buffalo. That's what I'm going with. All right. The answer is C, yellow dog. The yellow dog contract, Woo-hoo! which made teachers promise not to join a union. It's like you had all the answers beforehand. Okay, yeah, great high fives. <laughs> number five, and the final question. This, this, number five is the final question for this You're quiz. smoking me, man. That's and, why. Uh, it requires some context, so sit back just for a minute. Okay? Tell us the story. It's going right. be In, so boring. Oh, you're such a jerk. I hate you. In December of 2018, the wave of teacher activism in public schools expanded beyond traditional public schools and moved to charters from one of Chicago's largest charter school networks called Acero Schools. The impasse related to crowded classes and promoted 
uh, are pr- and promoting a living wage. The average paraprofessional was earning $30,000 a year in the city of Chicago, which is $37,000 below what would be needed to live comfortably in the city. Acero CEO Richard Rodriguez makes around $260,000 per year to manage a network of how many schools? A, 15, B, 25, C, 35, or D, 55? I'm going to go with 25. Um, I'm going to go with 15. The answer is 15. Oh, my God. <laughs> The answer is fifteen. Well, that's you had a to figure, know. and he earns a figure of roughly equal to the salary that's earned why. by Chicago Public Schools Janice Jackson, right. who is responsible for, for over five hundred. That's, that's why you went schools. below one, huh? Yeah, yeah. Because it was disproportionate to yeah. his right. his school span load. of control, <laughs> <laughs> which is wild. So that's the quiz, Doctor Dodd. You have won the prize. Yes, which is an Ed's of not disdain dead for me. <laughs> it was a good quiz, Mister Six. Yeah, not bad. You not get all bad. the I cheese. It. I do all the cheese. All right, uh, now it is time for Dear Betsy. Cue, but- the, cue the Dear Betsy music. Nothing, right. nothing happened. Uh, nothing's happening. <laughs> dead unfortunately. Hey, All what, right. That's what you want what, in a podcast. What happened when? Ooh. What happened when we played um, "Just What I Needed" by the Cars? <laughs> Let's not repeat that on episode two because that acknowledges. Did we get that. a mean email from someone? <laughs> yeah. Casey, Casey doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> okay, sorry. All right. Because you know what I said when we, we decided to do that, right? Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> it sounded so Please good. don't do it that. It sounded so cool, though. The it LLC did, is did. in my name yeah. and my home address, so I'd rather if you didn't do that. Yeah, just move. All right. Yeah, that, dear, that's how it works. Dear Betsy. Dear Betsy. So, Newsweek article. Betsy DeVos could face jail after a judge rules that she violated a 2018 order. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos has been threatened with the possibility of a ju- of jail after a judge deemed she was violating a court order for continuing to collect student debts on a now defunct school, have you have you read other, have read this, folks? Have you read it? Have you checked it out? No, you haven't heard that she's going to be facing jail time. No, that's not going to happen. Anyway, the ruling that was handed down in June of 2018 was made by Judge Sally Kim and prevented uh, Betsy DeVos and her Department of Education for going after former students at the bankrupt Corinthian Colleges Incorporated, something we've talked about on the show before. For-profit. The for-profit colleges that close down and then really leave students hanging and um, hanging in the balance, and they're collecting debt on, in really awful Yeah, but their ways. debt goes away, right? Uh, that's it incorrect. Does not, what was, what does was, not go away. What was Trump's? Was it Trump University? Yeah. I don't know how long that was around. I think that was for profit. Yeah, it was for, for sure. profit. Yeah. 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 I think it, very it, it did really time. great. It did really great. Friend of the um, show, Randy Weingarten, let us know what she thought of Betsy DeVos. She did, yes. She did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um so the, the the other quote that was that was astounding is uh well, she said it Kim, Judge Kim said she was astounded to discover that DeVos was violating the court order at a hearing in San Francisco on Monday because it had earlier disclosed that more than 16,000 former students at Corinthian College were, quote, incorrectly informed at one time or another that they had payments due on their federal student loans. Um, thoughts, comments, concerns. Well, the, when the, She's doing the, a great the, job. The, next, the worst part is 1,800 people lost wages or tax refunds, mm-hmm. so basically had their wages garnished. Yes, they took it right out of their <clears throat> accounts. Oh. Yep. So, so Rick Perry is stepping down as Secretary of the of Energy. Yeah, yes. which which what were the departments that he was going to get rid of? <laughs> it was yeah. three. Yeah, it was three so, of them. Yeah, but he couldn't name all three. And right? I think one Did of he, them he's he, now leading. Yeah, 
right? Was that's it really? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's One what of them it was. was. Energy department? Yeah. yeah, it was energy. But I, my question was: was does that make her? No, but Carson still stayed. Carson's still there. Okay, Carson and her. They're the last two. They're the, they're, they would be the last two, I think. Interesting. All the rest are, de- you know, interims. You were deputies. Saying, I thought you were going to say dead and gone. Uh, <laughs> no. no. Uh, I don't really have. I mean, I don't really have. No, it's just yeah, she's the prioritization of uh, profit. Profit. Yeah. Yep, over anything else. The wellness of kids and the futures of students. And it it shows. It really shows the. I'd hate to say it, but the lack of attention that people take. Uh, the lack of attention to federal education policy. Um, yeah. Because I mean, she's, it's, she's it, doing awful things, but yet... If you search Betsy DeVos, it, like that's what comes up recently, but mm-hmm. it's, it was not... I had to search for it, I think, to find... Like, all right, what's going on with Betsy DeVos recently? I was like, oh, well, this was just a week ago that this happened. Well, like, there's other there's other not okay. people in the cabinet who are doing things that are questionable at best. And they've all had their heads rolled over a period of time, and they've all lost their jobs because they've lost favor with Trump. And uh, for some reason, Betsy has not. I thought it was interesting what Randy said about um, how much she loved Obama. But, um, you know, I, that obviously the relationship with Arnie Duncan, former Secretary of Education, was quite S- com- fraught. Yeah, complex. And, we, um, and it's funny because we've talked about it because we're like, we said, you know, we have not been any great fans of race to the top and and no in way. our discussions have said you know it actually wasn't really all that good right now you know pitting schools against each other and right. again you know oh if we just have this huge axe out to teachers that oh if you don't then you know you're right. gone it's like right. well it's not that they're not trying right. right you know which seems to be the implication and if you want money from the federal government you have to evaluate teachers every yep. year right yep. right yeah, she. Well, I mean, I can see where where AFT would not be in support of that. I could see that. Yes. Yeah. All right. Good job, Mr. Sids. Thank you. Dear Betsy is back. Yeah, she's back. She's still here. I do think somewhere along the line she figured out that probably keeping a lower profile was better than than speaking publicly. Of course, it helps that her husband donates millions and millions of dollars to the Republican Party. Yeah. Well, she's. She definitely has her own views about, well, she, I don't think her views about public education are not positive. No. I mean, Randy basically said her whole goal is to just, under, just under, undermine and dismantle. Yep. Yep. Dismantle. All right. Um, there is no system. There is no system. Thanks again, folks, for joining us. You can find us on Twitter at Ed's Not Dead PC. And of course, you can log in on FB. Uh, that would be Facebook. FB. <laughs> My FB friends. You can log on and, on the interwebs with FB.com. Ed'sNotDead.com. Yes. And as always, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational media company specializing in leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. On our next episode, we're psyched we're going to have Ricardo Cano, a reporter with Cal Matters, who is going to enlighten us with his massive expose in Cal Matters disaster days on all the instructional time missed in California over the last decade or so because of um, myriad things, but mostly natural disasters. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's going to be great. You you tracked him down, didn't you, Mr. Sids? Yeah, he's got he's a prolific writer yeah. on education, something that's not really paid attention to a lot in the states. But he you he cross, does a great job. You cross paths with him when. 
when he was uh, a reporter in Arizona, right? That's right, AZ Central, and uh, we had him when we got in touch with Hoffman, yeah. Secretary Hoffman. Hoffman. Yeah. So uh, we're excited to have him on the show, and uh, hopefully we'll continue the relationship as more of this these stories continue breaking, because the, the weather ain't stopping. That's right. All right, don't forget, get on iTunes, give us a rating. We'll send you some stickers, right, Mr. Krabs? Done and done. Okay. All right, folks, we appreciate you tuning in. Thanks again. A special thanks to Randy Weingarten. (laughs) I didn't almost forget her name. I I almost forgot her title. President of the American Federation of Teachers. We really appreciate her coming on. It's not dead. All right, we'll see you next time. See you, fellas.